0: Morning. Good morning. Good morning. I uh, yeah, I feel at home because I, I'm used to my culture, of people kind of talking back to me um, when I preach. So therefore, I am not going to become um, arrested with anxiety if you want to say amen. Uh, uh, amen. I, amen. Hey, yeah, yeah. Um, my soul's not going to become hostile if you want to say hallelujah. hallelujah. Amen. Because the Bible says let everything that hath breath Praise the Lord. Matter of fact, the more you talk back to me, um, the, the, the sermon will get a little bit shorter because I believe anything eternal doesn't have to be everlasting. Amen. Amen. But I would like to read for you a couple of scriptures God has laid on my heart. Meet me over in the first book of the Bible, Genesis the sixth chapter, verses 11 through 22. Genesis chapter six. If you have trouble finding Genesis chapter six, make sure you go to a life group. They'll hook you up, amen. (laughs) Genesis chapter six, um, verses 11 through 22. There you'll find some words to read on this wise. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I am going to put an end to all people for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, 30 cubits high. Make a roof for it, leaving below the roof an opening one cubit high all around. Put a door in the side of the ark. And make a lower, middle, and upper deck. I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth and destroy all all life under the heavens. Every creature that the breath of life, that has breath of life in it, everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you, two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, and of every kind of creature, that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and stored away as food for you and for them. Noah did everything just as God has commanded him. And then quickly over in the New Testament, the very familiar scripture, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind, came from heaven, and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that had separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak in other tongues, as the Spirit had enabled them." This is the Word of God. Thanks be unto God. I want to put a tag on these two texts um, this morning, and I want to preach for the subject The Church That Christ Longs For the church that Christ longs for. Lord, I would pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our collective hearts are acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, for you are our strength and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, My beloved, I am proud to share that I've been blessed to be a Christian for almost 40 years. I know that's hard to believe because I look 35. (laughs) But the majority of my life, I've been in the church. And so, it's a blessing for me to be here this morning with other brothers and sisters who have a heart for the church. We may come from different churches, have different experiences, and varying backgrounds, be considered perhaps conservative or liberal, as Pastor Chip said in our opinions or ideologies, but most if not all of us gathered here this morning have some association or connection with the church. I'm not ashamed to say that I love the church. In fact, uh, I've grown up in church. In my journey, I've been Baptist, I've been Methodist, I've been Pentecostal, I've been (laughs) Baptocostal. Church of God in Christ, disciples of Christ, and that's prepared me to be what my mentor, Rich Nathan calls an empowered evangelical. And so I believe that I'm on fairly good ground in sharing, that for me and in my journey, I've discovered there's really, Pastor Dave, only really two types of churches. There's the one that Christ died for. And then there's the one we've created. And I wish I could stand here all super spiritual and, and suggest that I'm just in love with the one that he died for. But if you haven't daydreamed on me yet, remember, I told you I'm a church kid. And so now, and I have love for all of the denominational and cultural proclivities that I've picked up along the way, yet I've discovered that despite our differences, that when there are really only two types of big C churches. There's the one that Christ died for, and then there's the one that we have created. And what's interesting, my beloved, is that there's sometimes that the one we created looks like the one that he died for. But sometimes sometimes the one we created has nothing to do with the one that he died for and prayed for and longed for. You remember over there in John chapter 17. Jesus prays to the Father about us when he prays, I pray that they might be one as you and I, the Father he's talking to, are one. That tells me when he's coming back. He's not coming back for the church we created with all of our schisms and our isms. But he's coming back for one church, and that's the church that Christ longs for. A church that learns how to be together and pray together and live together. As one, I mean, is that not the heart of the matter? In a sense, Pastor Chip has invited me this morning to sermonically preside over a few sacred moments where we marry both head and heart. And yes, as, and that's even as a vineyard, prepare ourselves to be the bride that Christ longs for. For the Bible says, young people, that He's coming back for a church that is without spot or wrinkle. I remember when I first read that, and I said, what does that mean? I mean, how do we know that as a church, let alone this church, has the qualities or develop the qualities, the characteristics to be the church that Christ longs for? I want to suggest this familiar story that I just read in Genesis gives us some clues to help you and I to prepare to be the church that Christ longs for. Jay walk with me one more time and come to the circumference of Genesis. You all know the story. The story is about Noah's ark. The story is told that Noah, that God comes to Noah and says, at the end of all flesh has come to me, and I want you to build something, because I'm going to destroy some things, and everything not on the ark is going to die, but everything on the ark is going to live. So, I want you to build it. I want you to put levels in it. I want you to put a window at the top of it. I want you to put a door on the side of it. And then, I want you to get two of every animal. Bring every animal on, then I want you to get your sons and your daughters, and I want you to bring them in. Now everybody, again, in the ark is going to live. Everybody on the ark is going to make it. You might have to go through some storms, you might have to experience some turbulence, it might get messy sometimes, but but the truth of the matter is that everybody on the ark is going to live. If you just do what I told you to do, and when you come out on the other side, you will see That I have preserved you, and I have prepared you to be in a brand new world. Y'all, God has preserved us. Yet He's also preparing us. And I also believe in God's permissive will. That He permits us to participate in the preparation process. All of us here have come on different ships. Some of us come out of relationships. Some of us come out of friendships or even out of fellowship, or others us come to enhance our scholarship. But, but no matter the original ships, as Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. says, we're all in the same boat now. And perhaps in this chirotic moment, God has, has called us to collectively drop our oars in the oceans of life to help push the church and propel the church to the place that Christ is calling for us to be. So what does this place look like, Preacher? Y'all ask some good good questions, that's why I love being here this morning. (laughs) Well, I believe that the church that Christ longs for, first of all, is a place that offers this world a creative, prophetic solution. I think I need to stay here for a moment because we must not lose sight that the church was created by God, God's self. Remember, Christ said, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail. But but what's curious about the Creator is that He allows us to participate in the creative process. He says, my ecclesia, He says, my called out ones will be my unique embodiment of the expression upon, of my expression on the earth, those who are made in my image. It's almost, Pastor Dave, as if he's pointing back to the creation story Itself, When the Creator says that, uh, to those of us made in God's image, be fruitful and, and multiply. In other words, reflect my image upon the earth. Y'all, th- this was something that theologians call the cultural mandate. Because in order to fill the earth, humankind would have to move and migrate throughout the earth. Stay with me. Which means that we would encounter different types of environmental conditions as we adapted to our surroundings. Different cultural lifestyles would start to emerge. So the result of God's command to fill the earth would be, here it is, difference. Different stories, different words, different myths and songs, and styles of communication, different food and clothing. Here's what I'm trying to birth in your spirit. Cultural diversity and multi-ethnicity did not take God by surprise. It was a part of God's original plan. Be fruitful and multiply because no one culture, people, or language can adequately reflect the splendor of God. He calls us to be culture creators who are culturally different though spiritually one, because all of us, we reflect the image of God. Now I think I ought to pause parenthetically and remind somebody that that's what kingdom folk do. We reflect our respective cultures, what the world looks like when God is in charge. Y'all, that's what's going on in the story with Noah. God comes to him in this period of the Bible and shares with him a creative prophetic solution to the problem. God says, there's going to be a problem that you have never heard of, and the answer is going to be something that nobody has ever seen. The problem is there's going to be uh, rain that results in a flood. Now, this time in Scripture, of course, there had never been any rain. So, they don't even understand what the problem's going to be. And And then, what I want you to do, God says, is build something. Nobody has ever heard of, so the problem is going to be the rain and the flood. And the answer is, we're going to need to build an ark. In other words, there will be people who will not have a full understanding of what's happening and will be looking for answers to the problems they're experiencing. And does that not sound really familiar? Even right now, the news and the airways of our multimedia are filled with political debates. You've heard them. In fact, we're experiencing them in real time. Pastor Chip already talked about the debate we're having about Roe versus Wade. What about others? Like gun control. Not only that, y'all, we're experiencing record heat, still grappling with racial strife and wars and rumors of wars. And Don't get me started on gas prices, Lord have mercy. Newsflash, y'all, we got problems because on paper we're united, but in essence we are divided along the lines of race and class and gender and ideologies revealing the fractured state of our world. And what's interesting, believe it or not, is that the gaps these days are filled with the topsoil of rhetoric from political pundits saying, look to me, for I am the solution to your problems. I'm not getting into politics, whatever you do, vote your conscience, but hear me. The solution to our problems involves more creativity and transcends the ability beyond what one person can offer. We need a community of people in conversation with our Creator and communicating with one another so we can creatively construct solutions to our problem. Noah, build the ark. My word will be its foundation. Your work and your faith will help shape its creation, and I will lead you in the way of transformation. Build the ark. Build the ark so that the world can see my creative prophetic solution to their problems. And my dear Christian friends, even in the world that is increasingly skeptical about the church, even as we strive to minister, Pastor Chip, to a generation that is increasingly skeptical about about institutional authority, I still believe that we bring something significant to the table. I mean, it's hard to get a bill through Congress, but you can get a prayer through the heart. Come on now. Is there anybody here who believes that when we touch and agree and say, Lord, let your kingdom come and your will be done, God can still turn neighborhoods around. We can still call heaven down resources. There can be no divisions around one another because Jesus says, if I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people unto me. Some years ago, some years ago, here in Columbus, we had a Vineyard Global Conference. Some of you attended. We had people from all over the world, from the most unlikely places coming together, in community, together, giving the world a glimpse of what the kingdom looks like. Some said it was a taste of heaven. And listen, when people taste and see that the Lord is good, it it stirs up a hunger inside of God's creative prophetic solution to their problems. And folk do come seeking it from the most unlikely places. I've seen it happen here in the venue. But just a few weeks after that, a lady some 80 years young made an appointment with me. Now, I must admit, even in her eighth eighth decade, decade of living, girlfriend was bad. She had on a, a Donna Karen suit, matching Everett blouse, Eve St. Laurent pumps. She had on a wide brim, Boris Lino hat broke down to the side, the kid leather purse. But, but beyond her immaculate uh, exterior, her face was writhing with pain. I looked at her, I said, Mother, what's the matter? She said, Pastor, I attended the video global conference, join your church, and I believe in following good leadership. And even though that was a big step for me, I did, like you said, I joined a small group. Stayed in that small group, you call it life groups here, even though she said I was the only piece of chocolate in the room. We started talking about um, some series that we had talked about in the, in the church across the pulpit. She said, after that week, I listened to other folk talk about the sermon and things like that from their perspective, but when I opened my mouth... To talk about life as I've seen it, I may have rubbed some feathers because people ended up coming to my home and suggesting to me that I shouldn't talk like that. And she said, Pastor, I didn't cuss. My words weren't filled with hate, they were filled with love. She said, Pastor, I'm a grown woman. I'm not a girl. I'm a proud woman. I'm a dignified woman. But what hurt me? was that even in the 21st century, folk are still trying to mute my voice. I'm not sure I want to stay. So pastor, would you just pray for me? I looked at her in the face. I said, Mother, what would you want me to pray for? She took me by the hands. She said, I want to pray about reconciliation. Y'all, that's my second point. The church that Christ longs for ought to be a place of reconciliation. And I submit to you, my friends, that dignified lady didn't want reconciliation merely as a matter of lip service. She wanted to adopt reconciliation as a lifestyle as well. She didn't just want to pray, but she wanted to put feet to her prayers. She was asking, can we pray for God's kingdom to break through and help to make this concept of reconciliation real in my life? I think I ought to tell you that when I talk about reconciliation, I'm talking about it from a kingdom perspective. That's, that's, that's Pastor Ben, an important distinction. Because there are other schools of thought and many who have developed a bias or a preconceived notion about what they believe reconciliation is. They say that reconciliation is an oxymoron. They don't believe it's possible, and don't put racial in front of the word reconciliation, and they really think you're crazy. Because they would argue that there's never been a time in American history when racial harmony existed, or we have been conciled. So you can't have, they argue, reconciliation if you've never had conciliation they say it doesn't make sense they think they don't know what we're talking about but you must understand friends when it comes to reconciliation our definition and our understanding is not informed by the world and what's happening around us in the beginning god made the heavens and the earth and all that was in it every person every creature and god stepped back and said this is good and it was god's intention that the kingdom of God would come and restore that which God had, was in the, had in the beginning, that even on this day, God would look at all people, all the people of God, and all of God's creation and say, it is good. That's what reconciliation is. It's not a sociological thing we pursue. It's not a political thing we debate. It is theological, and it evidences itself in social, political, and creative ways. Why are you spending, Pastor, so much time on theology? Again, y'all ask good questions. Here it is. Because when it comes to reconciliation, theology matters. Because, stay with me, our theology informs our sociology. Meaning this. What we believe about God will tell us what we believe about people. And what we believe about people will tell us what types of communities and societies and churches we are to create. That's what this text is trying to teach us. Our churches ought to be places of reconciliation. They ought to be places that teach uh, where all voices are invited to be heard and folk are able to flourish under the banner of Christ. You've got to be a place. That's what that dignified lady was talking for. I'm talking about. Can my church be a place where my verse is heard and my culture can flourish, where there's a space for it to show up in our life groups and it's okay to hear it preach from the pulpit and every now and again it's even manifested in the music? Uh oh. Can I let y'all a little secret? If you want to continue to take steps towards multi ethnicity, model it in your music. Because there's something powerful that happens when our cultures come together. Let me illustrate what I mean before I move to the next point. Y'all, y'all know that song, Amazing Grace? It's one of America's most beloved hymns, and some of y'all know that it was John Newton who was the person who penned the hymn. But what you may not know is that John Newton was also a slave trader. But he wrote the song, Amazing Grace, and when he wrote it, folk were trying to figure out where the melody of the song came from. Well, I'm here to tell you that I know where the melody came from. The words came from Newton, but the melody came from the slaves in the bow of the ship. And Amazing Grace, by the way, is the only hymn they tell me that you have to play with black keys. In other words, if you don't have the black keys, you can sure have grace, but it won't be amazing. It's only amazing when you put the black and the white keys together. Let me hurry up. Here's the third thing, it's got to be a place of empowerment. How to come to church and become empowered, it's in the text he says in verse 14, now I want you to fill it with pitch, and I want you to put a window in the ark. I want you to put a window at the top, but sooner than later, because sooner than later the ark is going to go through a storm. And while the rain is falling down, and the floods are coming up, there's only going to be one direction you can look up, and that one direction you can look, and that direction is up. Somebody say up. You might be tempted to look out at the storm. And while you're in the ark, the ark is going to force you to look to the hills from come cometh your help. Knowing all your help comes from the Lord. You see, beloved, the window at the top represents how we exercise our vertical dimension of spirituality. And here in the venue, we do that as well. You know, we do that well, we got the five-step prayer model. We lay hands and teach people how to be prayed up and look up when the storms are raging, and we ought to do that. And I realize when I talk about the Spirit, particularly here at the Vineyard, I'm preaching to the choir, because you can't go to a Vineyard event around the globe and not hear about the Holy Spirit. But let me tell you something else I love about the Vineyard. We just don't talk about the Spirit, but we practice waiting on the Spirit. i how proud of you all know, if you're honest, you can testify, that sometimes, Waiting on the Spirit can be challenging. That's why I empathize with these disciples over here in the book of Acts. Jesus is just taking them to the mountaintop. He says, all power has been given unto me in heaven and in earth. I'm going to give you some, but first, you're going to have to wait. And then he had the nerve to ascend to heaven and leave them hanging. That's what they're doing. By the time you get to Acts chapter 2. They're waiting. Jesus has told them to wait. I get that. And they do what many of us do when we have to wait. They have a prayer meeting, have a small group. They lift up their hands. They say, Holy Spirit, come, which is not a bad thing. They choose leaders and all of that. But I could not help but wondering, Sister quick, while they were waiting on the Spirit, if they did not feel like we need to do something, but we don't know what to do, It's just us today, so can we talk? I said, can we talk? I don't know what it's like here in Reynoldsburg, but some of your cousins in Pickerington and Westerville where I minister, we're good at exercising our vertical dimension of spirituality. When we watch the news and we say, Holy Spirit, come, because we're generally concerned about COVID and we're concerned about inflation, we're concerned about violence and division in our community. But I think sometimes God would like us to put feet to our prayers. I don't know, but sometimes I think God would want us to think about putting action in the way we pray. I'm not so sure that God is content with us just sitting back and talking to our friends on social media or just tweeting, hashtag, that's a shame. Maybe God wants to do something more than just say, hashtag, that's a shame. Maybe God wants us to be active in our waiting. What do you mean, Pastor? Well, in my sanctified imagination, I can imagine while they were waiting, they found themselves in the sanctuary of the Vineyard Community Church. They sang a few songs, had some announcements, but they were really waiting on Jesus' promise for power. And all of a sudden, Philip looked up at Bartholomew and said, brother, are you on fire? Philip looks up and says, not only am I on fire, but, but Thaddeus, you're on fire, and Mary, you're on fire too. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. But if we want to be a church that Christ longs for, we ought to get on fire. Yes. We ought to be so consumed with the Spirit of God so what's going on in here can catch on out there. Yes. We used to see a song in my church, the Pap that said, God don't need no matches. He's fire all by himself. Is there anybody here who believes that the church needs to get on fire? Needs to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Come here, ask and help me. You shall receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you, and you should be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the other most parts of the earth. It wasn't the power that they expected. They were looking for military power and political power, perhaps economic power. They were looking for the power that would shift the dynamic. That were wrong, so that Rome would be on the bottom, they would be on the top. But instead of seeing the type of power they anticipated, God said, "The promise, the power I promise you, is spiritual power. It's a power to empower others. See, if we want to be the type of church that Christ longs for, we just don't exercise our vertical spirituality. We got to our our spirituality has got to be horizontal." Because in the ark, there's also a door. It represents the horizontal dimension of spirituality. And Jesus says, I am the door. In other words, if we want to be a church that Christ longs for, then we've got to be a church finally that offers a crystal-centric solution. God sent me on divine assignment to share a vineyard. If we're serious about becoming a church that Christ longs for, that we've got to open the door. So the people out there start hearing about what's going on in here and are transformed by the Spirit of God. That's what happens in Acts 2. God's power comes with such precision of language that it's mind-boggling. And people begin to speak in other languages with such clarity and authenticity. that people outside overhear, and it sounds like, they say, it sounds like my mother is talking to me. How does that happen? How does that happen here in the vineyard? Peter says that when the Spirit of God comes upon us, that all types of racial and social and economic divisions are going to be be erased among us so that the world will begin to see in here what Christ has in mind up there so we can take what's in here and bring it out there. Let me tell you something. You got to fight to be a church like this I can't promise you, everything will always be beautiful, and you won't have challenges. Because all of us, when you become a church that Christ longs for, and you start letting people in, all of us got all types of animals above our ship, on our ship. We got barking dogs on the ship. We got clawing cats on the ship. We got laughing hyenas on the ship. We got hissing snakes on the ship. We got growling bears on the ship. And when you get all those animals aboard the ship, it gets messy sometimes. But everybody about not on board the ship is going to be destroyed. I'm going to close with this. That's why, hear me in the Spirit, more than ever before, I believe that God is calling this church to continue to open your doors. Yes, we know about the free medical clinics. Yes, we know about the bikes. Yes, we know about the tremendous reputation that you have in the community. But God is calling you to open the doors even more, and hear me, and not just open the doors, but he's calling you to get in the water and bring others inside the ark. I'm going to close with this. This past Wednesday in Budapest, Hungary, Anita Alvarez was competing as a member of the U.S. Artistic Swimming Team. She had just finished her routine that some called the greatest performance of her life. She had pushed past her limits, but was trying to celebrate waving. And she was waving to the crowd, and all, all of a sudden, something went awry. Anita sank to the bottom of the ocean. The crowd was stunned. The lifeguards were stunned. But fortunately, her coach sprung into action. Her coach, Andrea Fuentes, dove in the water and pulled her motionless body to the surface. Later on that swimmer would say, I would not have made it had my coach not decided to get in the water. I got to get out of here, but I got to remind you as I take my seat. There's another coach who models for the church how we ought to get in the water. Is it all right to preach in here for a moment? He was in the waters of the marginalized and the disease and the outcast. He journeyed to the waters of Samaria. He was in the water with a Canaanite woman. He was in the water so the paralyzed might get mobility. He was in the water so that the demonized could get delivered. He was in the waters so until a thief on the cross could get to paradise. But what I love about Moses is that he got in the water to save you and me. There's a hymn that says, I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply staying within, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry, and from the waters he lifted me. And now, safe. Am I? Is there anybody here that can praise God? Because God got in the water to save you, He got in the water to save me, and the same God who saved us can save others. So here's my question this morning: What water are you smelling? Are you swimming? Bless you.